Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlow and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of Maine Golf Talk. Henry and I are joined today by Steve Leach, longtime golf professional and general manager of Aroostook Valley Country Club. He's been there for 27 years and knows all about uh, the great, uh, great north part of the uh, the state. Steve, welcome to the show, and uh, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing all right, gentlemen. It's a beautiful sunny day up here at Aroostook Valley, and uh, happy to spend a few minutes with you guys and talk a little golf this morning. Well, we uh, we appreciate you coming on. I know you uh, you're in the pro shop right now, checking in golfers. So uh, let's uh, let's get right into it. Let's uh, you know. Tell us a little bit about the history of Aroostook Valley for those that don't know. I mean, it's, what, over 90 years old. Uh, you had uh, Sam Sneed back in the 50s. Uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, the history there. Yeah, actually, the, the golf course was first built. The original nine holes was built in 1929. And it isn't any secret that at that time, uh, you know, with, a, with all of our history, that that was the time of prohibition. And uh, the golf course was actually built directly across the border um, by American business people and Canadian business people from the town of Perth Andover on the New Brunswick side um, in, in, to a place that I guess where uh, people could enjoy some of the finer things in life back in 1929. So there was a reason where it was, where it was built. Um, and it certainly is unique in the fact that it is immediately across the, uh, the international border. Uh, it went to 18 holes in uh, 1961 and was actually opened up uh, by an exhibition match, uh, with one of the participants being none other than Sam Snead, as you mentioned. Um, plans and the construction began in 1957 and it actually opened in 61 and must have been quite a thrill uh, back in the day to see Sam Snead um, banging it around this golf course and some of the members and to get out to see that. And in fact, the people that got to play with them and the scorecard still sits inside the front door and behind glass. And it, it's quite a talking point. Uh, some of the locals also brought up Babe Diedrichson Zaharis, which, who is obviously one of the greatest female athletes of all time and, and obviously a well-known lady golfer. And uh, so they took great pride in this, um, in this facility and they dreamed big and they brought some big names to this place. And uh, it's had a rich history and uh, it's loved by a lot of people. Um, I think for the, the warmth of the membership and the way they receive people, for the uniqueness of the golf course and certainly you know, it's a good golf course, which is which is even an added bonus. It's a very good golf course, and it stands up to anybody's game. And when time you leave here, every golf club in your bag is dirty. Yeah, I I, I haven't been up there, and I'm I'm definitely trying to make it up because you know I have Eric McClure, Joel Osgood, some of my members here at Sugarloaf that absolutely love your course. They talk nothing but great praise, um, and you know they there's a reason why they keep coming back and you guys do an incredible job, um, especially, you know, the St. John Valley amateur, which is, I think this year, September 5th and 6th, um, you know, tent city. That's, uh, that's quite the, uh, the, uh, the weekend right there. 
It is. I mean, we have the type of facility that, you know, being in a rural area, um, we have the ability to let the guys um, set up Tent City every year and they can, they can uh, accommodate themselves quite comfortably right on our grounds, uh, use our locker rooms. We leave the doors open in the clubhouse for the guys to the locker rooms. Um, I get here and my headlights are hitting the sides of their tents when they're probably trying to get a few extra hours sleep in the morning. But they've been just a great addition to the golf course. We're so lucky to have them. Um, the, the guys that you mentioned and, and a whole lot of other have brought new life to that tournament because as you know, for a period of time, um, some of our most avid golfers were, you know, some of your senior golfers and, and, and the demographics of golf were starting to slow down. And, and that particular event um, features so many really good players and um, new young golfers. And it's been a treat to have them here. And they're, they're so respectful and uh, they're just like family now. And, and that's the way we hope it remains for some years to come. Yeah, we just put a poll out to our listeners, best 19th hole in the state of Maine. And we had a couple of votes for Tent City. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tent City. I don't know what goes on there in Tent City after the bar closes and, uh, and everybody's gone home for the night. <laughs> but I do know when I get here at four o'clock the next morning that the grounds are nice and clean and, and, uh, and, and there's never been a problem. I know the guys use our putting green late into the night. Hopefully most years we remember to turn the sprinklers off. Some years we haven't. <laughs> So we get to test out the flies on those tents and make sure they don't leak. But uh, like I say, uh, they just have a lot of fun. And, and they do so in a way that, you know, that allows them to come up here for three or four days without having the added expense of checking into a hotel. Um, we serve a buffet breakfast each morning and they just set up and call the place home for three or four days. And, and I hope we can do that for a lot of years to come. That's awesome. We, uh, you know, I looked on the, on maps and, so it's in Fort Fairfield, Maine, correct? Yeah, well, the the golf course itself is, as you know, actually located in Canada and on Canadian soil. The roads right. leading into here, um, you know, do in fact, one way of getting here is through the town of Fort Fairfield. Um, and our parking lot and the pro shop are in the United States. And I guess in the, within the town limits of Fort, Fort Fairfield. Um, People from the American side of the border often refer to it as Fort Fairfield Country Club. You know, that's uh, a golf course located in Canada, but oddly enough, that you know, it's a Roostook Valley Country Club, and uh, we're just a golf course that's located on the border. That you know, up until recently, there's never been any talk about who's American, who's Canadian. All we've ever really been is golfers enjoying our facility and working together to make it the best that it can be. Now, do I need my passport? Are you going to stamp it when I check into the golf shop? No, certainly not. No, no. That's, uh, but you'd be surprised how many people ask that. Um, yeah. The nice part about the way our operation has gone is, is you can move from our parking lot located in the U.S. to the first tee located in Canada, and you haven't made an official entry or gone through an official port of entry. And that's recognized by both the Canadian government and the U.S. government, and has been so for almost 90 years. Um, make no mistake, there is security around. Uh, the Border Patrol has an eye on, on our facility. Um, they basically made an island out of our facility because of the way the geographical land is around our golf course. This is considered to be a very secure place, and thankfully they allow us to continue to operate um, under, the, under the current structure. And uh, quite honestly, uh, you know, I, 
they're great. The Border Patrol has been very, very good. Uh, I think I could leave the front door of this pro shop open for six months of the year when I leave in the fall of the year, and I wouldn't have to worry about a thing being missing when I came back in the, in the spring. So there is the added security of that. But, you know, I understand that everybody has a job to do. We're in a, a unique location, and uh, we've been able to make it work with some challenges over the years. Yeah, you guys uh, had a... Uh... A big storm back in what was that 2012 yeah it's almost tough for me to keep all my dates uh you're doing your homework which is which is great but we did we had a microburst that came through and removed over 200 trees from the golf course uh, i was here and we used to have a couple towering what i learned to be manitoba maples that actually were over the pro shop um they when they came down and, and the power lines came down and and you know, I was saying in the dark, my assistant, Stephen Hansen, who uh, a lot of the guys that hear this podcast would know, great golfer. And Steve and I were in the shop. And, and when it all, the wind finally subsided, I mean, I looked and the two of us were huddled over in the corner of the pro shop. Thing, and, uh, and you know, I wasn't sure whether the roof was still on the building. And thankfully, those trees fell in the opposite direction because without a word of a lie, the, the root structure that came up and the soil that came up with that was probably... 12 feet high when you know laying on the side they were huge trees um, it was a pretty violent storm took out some windows in the clubhouse and, and caused a lot of damage but like we always do here within two or three days um, we had generators brought in the members were out cleaned up the golf course and we were back up playing golf again in no time um, so that was just another challenge uh, certainly not the challenges that uh, some other recent uh, events have caused but you know that that such is it. This is just another hurdle that we're going to jump over. Uh, if you don't mind us asking, uh, can you talk us a little bit through your challenges, uh, especially with you know some of your Canadian members crossing the uh, not being able to cross the border to play? Um, yeah, I know no, that's that's a big talking point right now. Yeah, it is a talking point, and, it, and you're exactly right because of the fact that we are going through this COVID nineteen pandemic, um, and the fact that uh, you know, the province of New Brunswick, in fact, is is under a declaration of emergency, which is requires everybody that, that comes into the province, whether it be from Quebec, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, or the United States, to, to uh, self-isolate um, or quarantine as such at that time. Um, and the fact that the federal border between the United States and Canada is closed, um, to make an official entry to our golf course from Canada, you have to go through that border. And, and unfortunately, um, because of the self-quarantine and because of having to cross that international border, our Canadian members can't get here at this time. Um, to me, uh, we are caught in a COVID-19 situation. Um, I don't like to make a border issue uh, about it. I mean, we are located in an area where for, if there was ever an advantage to be in this area from its uniqueness, in this particular case, it is certainly a disadvantage. Uh, and this is not just a, not just a situation that's going on in uh, Northern Aroostook County in New Brunswick, not in the state of Maine, not in the US and Canada, but worldwide. And, uh, you know, hopefully life is slowly gonna get back to normal here and we can get all our golfers here. We've had to make some decisions this year that will enable us to uh, keep revenue flowing. Um, I know that it has been frustrating to some of our members, but I can tell you that, uh, I've heard a lot of positive comments and they know that, that we're fighting tooth and nail to keep this place afloat so that when they're able to return, they have somewhere to return to. 
and I hope that's sooner than than later. Yeah, it's great to see all the support you're getting, and we only wish you the best up there. And we, Zach, and I really hope we can get up there and visit your course. I, you know, we hear great things about the layout and and obviously the the events you guys have throughout the course of the year. What what are some of the other events you guys have outside of uh, Tent City? Well, I mean. Uh, Certainly, Tent City, I guess, is an event that is a spin-off. The event, of course, is the St. John Valley Open, and though there may be some events that spin off at Tent City, um, <laughs> they're, uh, you know, that's our big stroke play or metal play event of the year if we're not hosting a provincial championship, which we've been lucky enough to do many times. In fact, our provincial champion, which would be the equivalent of the state, was Mr. Ralph Mischel out of our own club last year. It was held here. Um, but we have a lot of... Uh, of corporate charity events that are held some big events here at the club as well as our traditional um, um, scrambles and things but we, we normally have a pretty full tournament schedule of about 20 to 23 events um, from the potato blossom festival um, to our senior field day which is i guess that is another stroke play event um, and, and in my opinion your senior field days you know are some of your guys that are still some of your most avid players and traditional players that are going around to these tournaments every week so we're going to possibly miss having them here this year because it's very tough to have an event right now at our golf course um, mm. we would host the main united way in september uh, we would have uh, the main basketball hall of fame the fort Fair fairfield athletic boosters tournament so there's a lot of events that that uh, the community will miss revenue um, getting for the charitable um, um, contributions that come from those events we will also miss revenue from simply having those bodies at our golf course and using our facilities. So I knew right from the word go this year that this was going to be a real challenge. And uh, we've had to adjust. And, you know, we hope that life returns back to normal. But like I said, this is a year that may be just trying to hold on so that we're around in 2021. So let's go back uh, to better days. What about your upbringing? How did you get into the game? And and how did you end up in uh, Aristic Valley at, you know, at Aristic Valley Country Club? It's great that you ask that. I mean, uh, I grew up in a military family, both parents golfers. Um, once I was finally allowed to go out on a golf course, I was showing that I had to caddy. Um, I wasn't allowed anywhere near a golf cart, and I had to walk the golf course. Um, I was at every day. My home was very close to the golf course. Um, when I wasn't at school, or doing any summer job, I was on the golf course and I could walk to uh, the course. Like I said, eventually the pro at the club said, you know, Steve, you're going to be under my feet all day and be hanging out here all day asking me questions. You might as well come to work for me. So in fact, that's what I did. And over a period of time, um, I guess the pro at that time, his name was uh, John Gadet. Um, he saw something in me, thankfully, that he, he thought, you know, I was in my first year of university. I was playing basketball. Uh, I really didn't know what I was going to do, but I did know that I loved the game of golf. And he thought, you know, did you ever consider getting into the PGA and maybe following my footsteps and doing what I'm doing? And uh, I, I thought that was a great idea, especially as an 18-year-old. You know, gee, the PGA, the Canadian PGA, I'd love that. I could play a little bit. I wasn't a great player, but I could play enough that I could pass my playing ability test. And, and uh, like he said, I was at the golf club all the time. Uh, so after a year, I'm passing my playing test and doing my apprenticeship. Um, this was in my hometown. So there's other distractions in your hometown too. You know, I was a young 19 year old and uh, 
he thought it might be best for my career if I take a job at another golf course and learn how another facility works. And I moved to a to a St. John, New Brunswick, to a private club called Westfield. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I went to work to a, for a gentleman by the name of Bobby Barr, who uh, was from Glasgow, Scotland, and he was old school. And, and uh, he really took me under his wing and showed me how the job is supposed to be done and showed me how you need to be around to look after the members and how if you got into this profession to uh, to play golf seven days a week and not look after business then you were in the wrong profession he was very tough and he was very fair and to this day you know other than my own father certainly uh one of the gentlemen i respect the most in this, in this. he's gone now uh he was at that club for 30 years himself uh, and he taught me so much in those days we were the canadian pga which I'm a member of, um, we worked under the lab report system, which was very hands-on. It wasn't so much book work. It was doing lab reports, and you learned everything from uh, club repair through, you know, the marketing of the pro shop and the business side of things, not strictly from a business school point of view. And and I uh, I learned a lot from him. Anyway, after completing my, my exit exam and I applied for the job up here at Aroostook Valley. A good friend of mine was uh, the apprentice here and had moved on and taken a head job. I drove up here. I went to an interview with some of the, the locals and the board of directors. And they looked at me and they said, Steve, did you bring a resume? And I said, you know, I didn't. I said, uh, I said, I thought a resume was so that you could get an interview. I said, I've already got an interview. I'm here with you. And uh, but you, you know, after we get done talking, I guess that'll be my resume. And they hired me on the spot that night. I was 24 years old and, and I'll turn 52 here in uh, just another few weeks. So I must be doing something right. I do know that, uh, <laughs> that I love this place and I'm not going to change the way that I, that I work and, and the, uh, the habits that I have within the business. I do know my golf game is not quite as sharp as it was when I was 18 or 19 years old, but actually play the game better I just can't putt the ball anymore <laughs> and uh, it's it's been fun it's been fun and after being here so long I just can't see myself anywhere else I mean I would I would like to think that uh, I would probably have the ability to to do other things and and set my goals higher um, and get more involved in a bigger club but this is the place that I love and I've got so much of myself invested in it that this is where I want to be yeah, it's funny, you know, we've we've spoken with so many players and coaches already and it's out it it's like our all our stories are somewhat similar in, in how we got into the game growing up at a golf course, getting dropped off by our parents and just staying there all day and sort of being babysat by the, the pro there at the time and how they took us under their wings and um it's just interesting. I mean obviously we're all unique, but the the stories of how we get into the game seem so similar. What's, that's what's, uh, what's so nice about that is what you just said is, is the people that can share that are the people that are fortunate enough to have been youths at golf courses where they do employ golf professionals. Um, facilities that don't, that's the type of thing they're missing out on. Um, the young children that hang around the pro shop here, I have one young Michael Bruce, I'm sure you've all heard of. Um, if not, he, he's, he, he spent some time, went down to the, the national championships at Augusta for the uh, drive, pitch, and putt. And he's just a special talent. And, and uh, not only is he a nice little guy, he's, he's a great, fine, fine young golfer. And he works so hard at it. And he's hanging around the shop all the time now. And I just said to him the other day, I said, you know, 
Michael, and you can see above this counter someday, if I'm still around, you're probably gonna end up having to do some work around here if you're gonna hang around all day. So it's funny how it goes full circle. Yeah, so, and you're, you know, you're probably the first Canadian we've had on our show. And, you know, I, we have a lot of Canadians in our state and it's, uh, you know, it's deep in our culture. And who are some of your idols growing up? Were they Canadian golfers like George Knudsen and, and Mo Norman or who did you kind of look up to? You know, uh, there wasn't the George Newton from a teaching point of view back in the Canadian PGA adopted an awful lot of his, uh, of his methods of teaching George Newton. And then, uh, they kind of moved theirs towards a gentleman by the name of Ben Kern. Um, I was also fortunate enough to play some golf with Mo Norman in, in Titusville in Florida at Royal Oak. Um, and, different spend a week with him in fact at uh, uh, not just myself with other assistants from across the country of Canada there so it was unique to see him um, my idol growing up was obviously you know he's not Canadian was Jack Nicklaus uh, and and my favorite of all time was Payne Stewart um, I, I just love Payne Stewart and I can still remember where I was the, the day I heard that unfortunate news I had just kicked open the door at a golf at a hotel in uh, Rum Point, Ocean City, Maryland, driving south, to, to, and I stopped there to play golf for a few days when I heard the news. But you know, to me, he—I uh, could certainly relate to him. He was—he was class act, and uh, so he was really my idol, I guess. Payne Stewart, and still is to this day in the game of golf. It's okay. <clears throat> Rooster Valley Pro Shop. This is Stephen. Hi, Dave. 9.30, how about 9.21, my friend? We'll see you then, you and Blair? Sounds great, Dave, we'll see you then. Yes, sir, bye-bye. There, I'll take that off the hook for the remaining time that we have. We might have to keep that on the podcast. That's beautiful. I mean, that's multitasking right there. That's fine. I got to. You, they'll tell you I'll be out washing carts in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to multitasking. I'm the only one here other than the grounds crew. Yeah. I mean, that's, hey, that's the PGA Pro lifestyle right there. We love it. Yeah. You know, I do it hard for six months of the year, and, and luckily I'm able to enjoy the other six months. So that may do you be travel, too. Do you travel south, Stephen? I travel south just for vacation. Yeah, I do. I uh, My mom and dad have a home in St. Pete's. Um, and whether they're able to return to their uh, this fall remains to be seen. I sure hope they are because they love that. And they're still very avid golfers and playing a lot of golf. So I get down to see them and I take trips with the with the, my members. We go down there, a group of 16 of us go down there uh, every year for 10 days and play golf from sun up till sundown and so I do get down to Florida quite a bit yeah uh, so I, I sure hope that uh, we're able to do that again this fall <laughs> I got to ask you a little bit more about Mo Norman I mean you playing with him that for those that don't know Mo Norman was possibly one of the top five ball strikers of all time and uh, I just want to know a little bit more about you playing with him and what that was like oh Mo Mo I mean and I don't want to sound like we were best friends or he would even know who I am if he walked through the door or is able to walk <laughs> through the door today, of course. But uh, um, 
he was obviously a, not only was he a great ball striker, but he was very, very unique. Um, he he was certainly a unique individual. His, his whole life revolved around hitting golf balls and uh, doing nothing but thinking, living, eating, and breathing golf. So his social skills, um, you know, left a little bit to be desired. He didn't feel comfortable around people and, and apparently didn't ever since he was a young boy. But where he did feel comfortable was hitting golf balls and on the driving range. And he loved to put on a show. And, you know, he uh, he had a setup and and a delivery of the golf club to the golf ball that was unique. Um, it was basically square to square and keeping the club on plane for such a long period of time um, that I think it would be pretty fair to say there was a, a I remember about 15 years ago, a, a concept out there called natural golf, where a lot of that was built around, I think, Mo Norman's um, swing and the way he delivered the club to the ball. But he did hit the ball squarely every single time and very, very accurately. Uh, he didn't so much when we played, he didn't uh, care about putting the ball or chipping the ball, but he wanted to show you that he could hit it anywhere he wanted uh, on a rope. He could hit it high. He didn't really even try to work the ball left to right or hit the ball right to left. He hit it straight all the time. And he'd take his club out and, you know, gouge out a big divot and, and drop the ball down there. And he used to carry this little wooden forward. And he'd go down and get that ball, out, you know, dig that out of there and it would just like a rocket straight and and uh no he was he was something else and that's basically why he was there with the assistants to show us uh how he the the time that he put in practicing and he just wanted to be around us as fellow canadian pga members and and uh you know he the canadian pga kind of took him under his wing during during later in his career and tried to help him out between uh keeping him around that course at royal oak and getting him set up with the Titleist, and he was a special talent. I mean, the stories are endless. I, I mean, some of them I, I probably can't repeat on this podcast, but there's some very unique ones. Not bad things, but I mean, I mean there, there was many stories of him leading tournaments, you know, and having a hole that would be a driver wedge hole where he'd hit the wedge off the tee and the driver to the green, and, and you know, and, and he just got bored with the game. He, he, he could do anything with a golf ball. He was tough on caddies. I remember him playing in the Peter Jackson tour event in, in St. John where I used to work. He, he went through three caddies in three days. You know, he, he just, he'd get rid of them. Go away, you know, you can't play. You can't be with me. And he was very, very unique, but he, uh, but he could sure hit a golf ball. And you're right. I mean, there's stories of him being in the Masters and having to withdraw because after one of the rounds, he'd hit so many golf balls, he's actually worn the skin off his hands. And, the stories are endless, and there's people around that can tell far more of them than me, but, and I may have repeated some of the ones you've already heard. He was certainly special and unique. Yeah, those are, uh, those are some incredible stories, and uh, we love hearing all about those, and uh, uh, just a unique, uh, unique gentleman right there. But, uh, Stephen, we're going to uh, let you uh, get to uh, washing those carts here in a second, but we're going to finish it out with a wicked fire round. So we're going to ask you three questions. We're going to ask you to uh, answer them as quickly as possible. And they're not very difficult, so you should be able to do it pretty easily. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so we'll start off with uh, what's your favorite hole at AVCC? Number 14. And why? Well, it's a risk-reward, par five, downhill. Um, for me, you know, I don't hit it quite as long as I 
that once could. So it's certainly a risk to go for that green in two because you have to carry it over water, 100% fly it to get it to the green. And it's just so picturesque looking down across the valley there, especially in the fall of the year when the leaves are changing. It's breathtaking. It's a beautiful hole. I think you'll find that if you ask a lot of golfers that same question, you'd probably hear number 14 answered the most times. All right, we're going to have to uh, ask Eric and Ozzy and uh, Reggie about that one. Uh, so number two, what, uh, what's your favorite golf course outside of Aroostook Valley? The golf course that I enjoyed the most outside of Aroostook Valley. I would have to say the Mid-Ocean Club in Bermuda. Uh, I've had the opportunity to play that different times. And, um, it, it's a special place. It's a beautiful, beautiful golf course. I think if you've never been to Bermuda and as a golfer, if you ever get a chance to go there, it, there's all kinds of unbelievably good golf courses there with the uh, scenery like you'd see at Pebble Beach just about at every course. It's, it's incredible. <coughs> That's a good one. And uh, our final question, if Henry and I come visit you, uh, where should we stop and eat afterwards? Oh, you should stop right across the parking lot here and, and at the clubhouse. You'll get uh, good Canadian beer. You'll get uh, a home-cooked meal. You know, you won't get served with uh, linen and silverware, but I guarantee you won't leave hungry. And uh, you'd enjoy it. You'd be comfortable there, I can tell, just from the short time I talked with you guys. Well, Stephen, we, we certainly appreciate you taking some time out of your, your hectic schedule up there and being in the golf shop and answering calls while you're talking with us. So we, we thank you for coming on. I tell you guys, uh, with all the talk that I've had, which this fall, or sorry, this spring with media and what have you, as you probably know when you first contacted me, most of them I didn't enjoy. And uh, I can tell you that you guys handled this professionally. It was casual. And uh, we talked about what I wanted to talk about. That was golf in Aroostook Valley. And I thank you for that. It was awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, we hope we can get up there and, and play your course and maybe do a little drone footage and all that good stuff. We, uh, we love to, uh, you know, promote Maine golf and, and all the golf courses and characters that make this place so special. So thanks yeah, again for got, coming on. All you got to do hey, is get uh, in the car. You're welcome hey, anytime. Quick. Idaho potatoes or Maine potatoes? Oh, gosh, Maine potatoes and lots of them. Let's go. Okay. All right. All right. This has been another episode of Maine Golf Talk. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Maine Golf Talk. If you are listening to us on iTunes, we appreciate any ratings and feedback you can offer. Thank you all for listening, and this has been another episode.